All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Happy Easter, right? I was thinking this morning was a perfect metaphor for Easter because we started the day in darkness, and there was, you know, there was rain. Um, there was it was overcast, and then all of a sudden the sun comes through. The sun rises. We get to see. Everything, uh, just like Jesus, you know, on Friday, everything is dark, he's dead, and on Sunday, he comes out of the tomb, he comes to life. Now, if it rains real shortly, then it'll be a terrible metaphor for the resurrection. But happy Easter. I'm glad everybody's here today to, to worship the God who raised Jesus from the dead. Um, our text today is Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through... 43. And if you want to grab a Bible on your smartphone or near you, if anybody with a paperback gets a number, shout it out so we'll know what the page reference is. Acts 10, 34 through 43. 753. 753. 753. Sounds like old school uh, song leading. That's right. Everyone turn to 753. All right. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears Him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with Him. We are witnesses of everything He did in this country, of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed Him by hanging Him on a cross, but God raised Him from the dead on the third day and caused Him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with Him after He rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that He is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about Him that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. So it's Easter, and on Easter Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and the way that God raised Jesus from the dead. And we're, we're here to ask and to answer in a certain way the question, what does the resurrection mean? What does the resurrection of Jesus demonstrate? And in this text, Peter shows us one of the points of significance of the resurrection. And that is that the resurrection shows that Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord of all. In verse 36, he talks about this message that God sent to Israel, the good news through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. He's the judge of the living and the dead. And as Lord, Jesus brings peace. He offers forgiveness. He pours out His Holy Spirit. He does good. He heals. He rescues. But all of this is rooted in the fact that Jesus is Lord of all. What a bold statement to say that Jesus is Lord of all. 
And that's the statement that we make when we come together as the body of Jesus at Easter to celebrate the resurrection and to worship God in Christ. That the risen Lord, Jesus, is Lord of all. In Peter's day, people thought the emperor was a pretty big deal. So much so that he had his own cult, his own religious uh, set of groupies that, that would worship him as deity, called the imperial cult. And archaeologists found an inscription in the ruins of a government building in modern-day Turkey, which dates just a few years before Peter is giving this sermon in Acts. And this is what it says about Caesar Augustus at the time. The most divine Caesar, we should consider equal to the beginning of all things. For when everything was falling into disorder and tending toward dissolution, he restored it once more and gave the whole world a new aura. Caesar, the common good fortune of all, the beginning of life and vitality, all the cities unanimously adopt the birthday of the divine Caesar as the new beginning of the year. Whereas the providence which has regulated our whole existence has brought our life to the climax of perfection in giving to us the emperor Augustus, who being sent to us and our descendants as savior has put an end to war and has set all things in order. And whereas having become God manifest, Caesar has fulfilled all the hopes of of earlier times, the birthday of the God Augustus has been for the whole world the beginning of good news, literally gospel concerning him. Do you hear the language in that describing Caesar Augustus? So when Peter is speaking in this text, he's speaking to a Roman centurion named Cornelius, whose boss is the emperor, right? About whom is said things like, he's deity, he's good news, he is, he is the one who brings peace and fortune to the whole world. When he uses language like peace and gospel and Lord of all to talk about Jesus, he's making a very bold claim. Namely, he's saying, Jesus is Lord and your boss, Caesar, is not. Neither is any idol that you might bow down before and worship. Jesus is Lord of all and no one else. Period. A few years ago, I met a woman that some of you know named Darcy. We met in the Dallas Junior Chamber of Commerce. Um, Darcy grew up in upstate New York in a non-religious family. And she would say that the most religion she got was in the Girl Scouts, where they're Number one principle was do unto others as you would have them do unto you. She didn't know that that came from Jesus. She didn't know. Um, but that's what she lived by. That's as close as she got to religion. At the time uh, we met, her dad had just converted to Mormonism. And so she had begun to really search for God. And so she became a part of storyline and kind of walked with us for a year and a half or two as she explored her faith. And I remember asking her at one point, down the road in that journey if she was ready to give her life to follow Jesus, if she was ready to become a disciple. And she said, well, I don't know. I, I have friends who are Jewish and who are Buddhist and who are Muslim and Hindu. 
And I mean, what does it say if I become a follower of Jesus? Are, are, they, are they not connected to God? And does me following Jesus mean that all of the rest of them are somehow wrong or misguided? That was a major point of hesitation for her. And she's since moved away and as far as I know hasn't become a follower of Jesus yet. But it's not because she doesn't get it. Um, it's, it's because she does. She knows the implication of the decision that she would make if she were to give her life to Jesus. That if she decided to follow Jesus, she is saying that Jesus is Lord of all. And she'll be saying with that decision, Jesus is Lord and nobody else. Not the Buddha, not Muhammad, not the universe. Jesus is Lord of all. What a radically exclusive statement. That's not a culturally popular thing to say. To say that Jesus is the Lord of all and nobody else. But that's exactly what Peter is saying here in his sermon about the resurrection and the gospel. Before Acts 10, Peter would have had a really hard time preaching the sermon that he does in this text to Cornelius. You see, Jews didn't associate with Gentiles. Peter was a Jew. Cornelius, this Roman centurion, is a Gentile. They were non-Jews. The Jews referred to them simply as the nations. Uh, Gentiles didn't know God. Jews thought they were objects of wrath. They were unclean. And to associate with them was to be guilty by association. There was this thought that, that ritual impurity and uncleanness by a Gentile would rub off on you if you were clean as a Jewish person. And then Peter has this vision. He falls into this trance and he sees this sheet coming down from heaven. And it's filled with all different kinds of animals. Many which, as a Jew, he would have considered unclean. And he hears this voice that says, Peter, kill and eat. To which Peter responds, no, I'm not going to do that. There, There are all kinds of ritual purity laws to obey. I've never eaten anything that's impure or unclean. And this voice, which he senses is from God, says, don't call anything that I've made clean, unclean. Don't call anything impure that I've made pure. So Peter snaps out of his trance and he gets a knock at the door. And it's a few Gentile men wanting him to come and speak with their Gentile leader. And Peter gets a sense from God that these men and and Cornelius that he's going to be leading them to that they're from God and that he should go with them and that he should pay attention. And then it kind of clicks for him. The vision that I saw, it's not just about food and animals. It's about Gentiles. It's about these people that I thought were outside of the fold of God, that I thought were unclean. I need to go and preach the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles because Jesus is Lord of all. Which is why in the story that we read... Peter begins by saying to Cornelius and his household, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Jesus is Lord of all. I've been following the drama this week about uh, gay marriage and the conversation in the Supreme Court. And Proposition 8, the debate between the traditional values camp and the equal rights camp. 
And most of the drama shows up in my Facebook feed in one way or another, right? Some of my friends are passionate equal rights proponents. And you've probably seen by now the very familiar uh, pink equal sign with the red background. One of my Facebook friends who I suspect is in the traditional values camp um, said on Facebook that, that uh, he thought that this sign was a, a symbol of a positive pregnancy test. And so he went on and liked all of his friends' pictures that had this equal sign because he's like, they're having babies, all right. But then when he figured out what it was, oh, he had to rush back on and get on there and explain to everybody, this is why I like these pictures. Traditional values camp. Uh, I saw this counter I- image from a, uh, the traditional values proponent that had this blue and pink equal sign simulating different gender- genders or symbolizing different genders um, with a cross superimposed on top of it. And at the bottom of it, it read, you might be able to change the laws of America, but you will never be able to change the laws of God. And this image was shared by many of my conservative evangelical Christian Facebook friends. And honestly, that image was disturbing to me. While I agree that humans can't change the law of God, I agree with that in principle, the subtext of that image and that statement communicates that God is on our side. God is not on your side. We are God's people. You're not. There's us and then there's them. When Christians engage in political discourse, there is a danger that no matter which side of a debate we might fall on, that we either forget or give the impression to others that Jesus is only Lord of some. Jesus is not Lord of all. Regardless of our political persuasions, And even biblical convictions, Jesus is not just the Lord of some, Jesus is the Lord of all. Which means that Jesus is available to all. His forgiveness and peace are available to all, even to people who might land in a different political camp than us. And that goes both ways. Jesus is the Lord of all, men and women, rich and poor, dark and light, Gay and straight. What a radically inclusive statement. Jesus is the Lord of all, not just the Lord of some. So we see in this story, this declaration that Jesus is Lord of all, that that simultaneously, paradoxically, Jesus is Lord of all is both radically exclusive and it's radically inclusive. It's exclusive in that Jesus is Lord of all and nobody else is. It's inclusive in that Jesus is Lord of all and not just some. He's Lord of everybody. Jesus is Lord of all. So how could we respond to this good news that the resurrection makes possible? That Jesus is Lord of all. Here are three responses to consider. First, believe it. Believe in the New Testament means more than just, I believe it in my head. Believe means you entrust your life to something. When Cornelius and his family believed that Jesus was Lord of all, the Holy Spirit fell on them and they started to speak in tongues and they were baptized. I'm kind of hoping we might get some Holy Spirit action 
here today, and I can hear some tongue speaking. But uh, we'll we'll leave that up to God. Um, if you haven't entrusted your life to God, you should. If you haven't given yourself to this great declaration that Jesus is Lord of all, you should. We can baptize you today. There's a, a lake right over there. And maybe the Holy Spirit will show us something too. If you've entrusted your life to Jesus as Lord of all, consider this an opportunity to renew your commitment. A second response is to be bold. Jesus is Lord of all. Be confident about that. Be open about that. The apostles didn't try to persuade people that this was the case as much as they just declared it. This is what, this is what reality is. Jesus is Lord of all. Tell your friends. Wear it on your sleeve. Jesus is Lord of all and that's good news. The third response is to be generous. To be generous with other people. Jesus isn't just the Lord of some. He's the Lord of all. So we should seek to include those who are on the margins. The people who are outliers. Those who would otherwise be left out. To be open-handed and compassionate and quick to tell people who would feel like they were on the outs. That they're under the Lordship of Jesus. That Jesus is Lord of all. That He wants to offer forgiveness and healing and peace to them as much as He does to any of us. Let's worship this risen Jesus who is Lord of all.